passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting on this Wednesday night of August the 9th. Hello. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This has been a um, busy, busy day. Oh, yeah. I'll bet. I mean, second show for you, two of three shows for you. Um, somewhat. I I ended up doing uh, – well, for those of you that are downloading this show, you will notice that at the end of this show, we are going to have an extra bonus interview for you. So those listening live, you'll have to download to hear this. Uh, but we have a bonus interview with Chris Hero, uh, who I spoke with this morning. So if we're being technical wow. – <laughs> I've kind of done like four shows today if we're breaking up this this interview. Um, and I managed to watch the G1, which I'm, I'm very proud of myself that I got all this done today. You should uh, be. That's That deserves a round of a, an applause. Yeah. So if you want to check this out, though, uh, before I forget, Chris Hero is chatting in this, first of all, about the West Coast Pro Shows that are going on Thursday and Friday night that he's heavily involved with. But we also spoke about his now permanent role as a producer at AEW, what shows he's working on, why he's... Uh, opting to do this now and we also get into a bit on adrian street he's you know a big um studier of british wrestling and got to interact with adrian street so we chatted about that and the discussion you and i have had quite a lot about kind of from our perspective of watching performers escalate the level of violence and the danger involved and sort of where you draw the line there of performers who are performing and an audience that i think is largely more caring about the individuals than maybe generations uh, gone by. And there's, I think, good and bad to that if you're a performer of not necessarily wanting to be policed by your audience, but also understanding that uh, concern. So um, all this when uh, he had to catch a lift uh, about 30 minutes in and to do a 20-minute interview with, with Chris Hero, it's uh, we have to be on the ball. So um, wow. you can check all of that out. Um, download Rewind a Dynamite for that. And did you happen to do video for it? Yes, uh, the video portion will be up. Uh, we'll have it up on the uh, post YouTube on Thursday morning. Perfect. All Excellent. set and scheduled way with a graphic and a description. How did you fit all that in? You've raised me well. Wait, that's all I can say. Very impressive. So yes. Um, and then 
tonight, if you are here live, well, boy, you can spend all night with us because as soon as we are done Rewind to Dynamite, we're flipping over to the Post Wrestling Cafe for the final uh, double shot for now because Dark Side of the Ring is completing its fourth season as we will talk about the season finale, The World According to Marty Jannetty, and Way and I will chat about Gat. God's amusement uh, toy. Amusement toy, yes. Bizarre episode. We will tr- do our best to break it down. So that's coming up tonight on the double shot. And as well, coming your way today, Davey Portman and Karen Peterson breaking down the final round robin matches of the G1 Climax. The D block wrapped up today. We'll bring you up to speed in a couple of minutes on that. Uh, but we have that up on the cafe now. Way and I are back Thursday and Saturday and the finals on the cafe featuring myself, Karen, and WH Park to bring this one home. 19 shows of the G1. It feels like it's been 19 shows already. It definitely feels like 19. <laughs> I can't say, oh, it just breezed Blue by. Bar. I mean, man, it's um, it was a lot. And I think Sunday we're, we're going to do a whole uh, deconstruction of this tournament. What worked? What didn't work? Who would you bring back next year? Who would you not bring back? Best matches. I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw everything at Karen and WH. They're gonna solve the world's problems in uh in about an hour. I'm looking forward to it. There's a been a whole lot of extra coverage over at postwrestlingcafe.com, especially with all the G1 this week. But uh, it's also, of course, Rewind a SmackDown, Collision Course, the Double Shot. All of this stuff is up there right now. So six dollars a month gets you up there. By the way, a big announcement for people who might listen to us on Spotify. Uh, just got word today that Patreon has been implement uh, has implemented Spotify integration, or maybe it's Spotify implementing Patreon integration. So oh. I've already kind of like done some of the back end work. You should you might see that in your Spotify feeds um, at some point, probably in the near future. But just know that uh, for a long, long time, people who listen to on Spotify weren't able to put uh get our our bonus patreon shows there um but now i think there might be something that's actually built in uh, forgive me i haven't really like dug too deep into it yet because it hasn't you know been put out yet but it it's it's should be there now if not in the, in the very near future awesome that's great news so uh there you have it and i just want to take this uh, chance to uh, thank everyone that has uh, both contributed uh with, with our g1 coverage uh th- this year but also for everybody that has uh, supported post wrestling on the post wrestling cafe i mean that is kind of um how we are able to, to run this site uh 24 hours a day seven days a week 18 shows a day um it's through your your support so if you have jumped on during the uh, g1 season if you're uh, testing it out. We hope you stick around. Uh, we have a lot of cool stuff uh, coming up, including we'll be doing a, a special edition of talk next week, a car cast edition with myself and way where it always, it always gets deep as way is sitting back behind the wheel. You know, the long road just kind of does that to you, right? Gets you in a certain mood. One of the uh, more like one of the better talks I feel. And I think we've had some really great talks as a part of this series. So one of the better conversations John and I have had, I would say. Yes, you and I are a regular um, MJF and Adam Cole on the road. Though we didn't make it to a trampoline park. No, we didn't, no. Let's talk about a couple of news items. Um, I did go over this with uh, Brandon Thurston, and um, that show is also up today with uh, David Bixenspan. So if you want to go check that out, um, if you want to know the 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 most uh, comprehensive digging and research that went into the WrestleMania 3 attendance figure, this is the show for you. I cannot say it any louder than that. Uh, we also chatted with Bix about 
uh, this season of Dark Side of the Ring and primarily the Bash at the Beach episode we covered last week, going into the legal case that came out of that Bash at the Beach episode, but also a, a great discussion on the WrestleMania three attendance and uh, my my all time favorite quote from David Dixon's band. I contacted the archdiocese when he was trying to figure out the WrestleMania three number and what the Pope drew uh, in 1987. So it, always great to have a uh, Bix on the show. So you can check that out as well. The UFC antitrust suit, which is almost nine years old come December of this year. It's so old way. You can actually find the news segment we did at the Fight Network the day it was launched with us reacting to it the day it was launched in 2014 and probably being very skeptical at the time that this would ever uh, lead to anything. And I mean, it's far from, you know, something earth shattering yet for the industry. But here they are almost nine years later. And there was a ruling by the, the judge who is overseeing the case that the case is now considered a class action suit for a class of fighters that fought there between uh, 2000 and 2017, the middle of 2017. And this would apply to roughly 1,200 fighters that can be part of this class action suit unless they opt out. And you could read the whole the whole case filing is is up if you want to uh, check that out. You can go follow uh, John Nash's work at Bloody Elbow or uh, Eric McGraken at Combat Sports Law. Those are two reporters that have been covering this very heavily. Um, but anyway, this it, it's a step forward for the case and at least acknowledging it as a class action suit. Uh, it's still you know v- very far away from some kind of uh, conclusive change of significance. But this antitrust suit, it certainly has already paid dividends in the sense of the way Francis Ngannou's contract was worded and having a sunset clause that allowed him to get out. And now he is going to make earth shattering money for his life uh, when he faces Tyson Fury later this year. Um, But here we go. It's, uh, you know, nine years later and they are trying to change the industry around and looking for 800 million to $1.6 billion in damages, which for a, a, a class action suit of this kind, it would be treble damages if, if this were to reach such a a finality that there's an actual ruling uh, for this amount, um, that that would be triple the amount um, that the UFC would be liable for. Um, so, and these fighters would have a, uh, a a say in that in that money. If if these 1,200 fighters, if they don't opt out, they would be able to benefit from from that. But anyway, it's certainly you look at the fact that. When this was first filed, you would have thought, you know, if this becomes a real headache for the UFC, they would aggressively try to settle this. Well, we're nine years in, and this has given us access to so much of the UFC's business. It's this suit that is the reason we can see how low that percentage of revenue to fighters actually is because they have had to hand over these documents and you have reporters like John Nash that have gone through all of this and it's, it's a, a look into fighter pay that we have never had access to before. So it's gone this far. And, um, and certainly it, it's been raised the fact that you're watching the MLW case go a- as well. And that does not have the same length of time behind it, but you certainly look at these two industries and the, there's many more similarities than differences between the two. And it's just the, the potential of something larger to happen, but that is the latest in the antitrust suit. All in numbers. Uh, WrestleTix just put up the latest figures for the Wembley Stadium show, and they are now at 79,346 tickets distributed. So that would be combination of paid and 
and comps and such. That's how many tickets are out for the event. Uh, but this has surpassed the SummerSlam 92 number, and they would be about 1,363 tickets away from hitting the the lofty turnstile number of WrestleMania 32 at AT&T Stadium. So, um, I mean, they're going to hit 80,000. The question will be how much further they can go uh, above and beyond 80,000. Now you are starting to see all the matches rolled out and who is on the show and what what the buzz is like that last week if there is a drive for last-minute tickets and what this thing can finish off at. It's it's going to be a very historically significant show, and it's going to be an enormous, enormous number. So that's that's where the latest is for All In, as they are about uh, under 700 tickets away from 80,000 distributed. Hmm. Wow. Um, do you have an updated prediction? Of what the number will be? I think that they... I'm, I'm thinking that this one will go over, I'll say over, I'll say like 82.5 would be my, my thought. And maybe I'm being conservative there. And that's like all, all in, pardon the pun of Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tickets out for, for the event. You think, you think it can go higher? I think it can, I I think so. If it's already at this point, um, uh, we don't even have a full card. Um, and we're like three weeks out, like, or at least a, a little under three weeks out. So I think there's still a lot of time. And I'm making that prediction before Grado has been confirmed. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe, maybe a few tickets will lowered, uh, based off of that. The G1, the final D block matches took place on, on Wednesday and we have our round of eight. So the D block. As expected, Jeff Cobb got spoiled, but not in the way I thought. I thought they were just going to give a win to Shane Haste. Instead, what they did was um, like the old video game trick. If you just wanted to beat your friend where you just keep them counted out and he Haste hung on to the leg of Cobb. So he was counted out. So Cobb got one point and therefore he still was alive because in the case of um, if Zach and Naito were both to lose or each of them drew, in, if they drew, they'd all be tied and Cobb would have won the tiebreaker. But by having, uh, Cobb get one point, it did eliminate, uh, Tanahashi and Goto, which I think kind of eliminated some of the drama for those last two matches. I wasn't as big mm-hmm. a fan of the way they went about this. I mean, it was a lame finish, but I understand it was for a storyline purpose. And it made but, sense with Haste doing it for Zaka, who's his well, stable, yeah, that was it. And leader. Eddie Kingston brought this up. And Eddie Kingston mm-hmm. was great on commentary, mm-hmm. but he was basically stating he is doing this because Zach would lose the tiebreaker. So, like, Haste is out. Haste is here to play spoiler and to do this for Zach. So mm-hmm. you did have a, a story here. I think you could have just had Haste beat the guy, but I guess they wanted him kind of hovering over with those tiebreaker wins. And then the last two matches, you had Zach beating Goto uh, in a hell of a match with... Man, he applied the Cobra twist and he's digging the elbow into the injured ribs of Goto, which have been hurt the whole tournament. Uh, Zach was great in this match. He has had a phenomenal tournament. I would say like he's outside of Osprey. He, he might be my, my favorite performer of this year's G1. Um, but he gets the big submission over Goto, just tying every limb of Zach, of Goto's up. So Zach clinches and he's in. And then the final match is Naito and Tanahashi. And boy, if if you're someone that it, you've been a bit down on Tanahashi, man, he turned the clock back and he had easily, easily his best match of the tournament. 
I would say his best match of the year, uh, maybe even going back further. He was excellent in this match, and he immediately goes for an inside cradle. And all match long, he's trying to get this inside cradle, and he he goes all out for this final round robin match. The uh, high fly flow to the floor. He goes for one in the ring, landing on the knees, and then Naito captures him with a tornado DDT, and he spikes Tanahashi. You think this guy is dead, and it was. <laughs> A more than convincing way for Tanahashi to stay down, but the just the cherry on top, Naito uses an inside cradle to pin Tanahashi and eliminates Tanahashi. Naito moves on. Excellent, excellent match. I would recommend the last two matches because they were uh, tremendous, but man, Tanahashi and Naito was a, a great, great match. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. I mean, um, as far as the result goes, I think a lot of people's prediction for those two advancing, but I think they got there in a way that like um, certainly added a little bit of drama to it. And uh, you know, despite not being in the playoffs, I think Cobb gains a whole lot coming off of this G1. They really for a good chunk of it, strapped the rocket to him. So the final eight, uh, which will be on Thursday, we have Sonata against evil Okada against Zack Sabre jr. David Finley against Will Ospreay and Hikuleo, who they did do an injury angle with on the undercard today, where they had the, the war dogs, uh, beat up Hikuleo after the, the tag match and just beat him, uh, down with like chairs. So I guess the idea is, is he's going to go in injured for this match with Naito and maybe is a bit of an out for Hikuleo, who they want to protect, uh, as I don't think too many people see Hikuleo, uh, winning this one, but, um, you have a pick for the final four. Who who do you see advancing way? Mm, ask me tomorrow. Okay. Well, there you have it. Um, not not putting his uh, prognosticator hat on, but uh, Wayne, I will have a show for you on Thursday going through uh, the quarterfinal matches of the G1. This is a, a note for uh, Canadian viewers. So uh, we, we had heard about this like a week or so ago that the the long and winding free trial for TSN Plus, months and months and months of this free trial. Finally, they announced it's coming to an end. And it was coming to an end today on Wednesday. And people were asking if you are a TSN cable subscriber, would you still have access to TSN Plus? And so I inquired with TSN and they confirmed to me it's a standalone service. So this, and I, and I tried today, like you cannot uh, log in just with your TSN, uh, with, with your cable it, Login. So if why this is important is because in Canada, TSN plus is the only place to watch rampage and collision dynamite. You're fine with as long as you get TSN uh, and that is broadcast on TSN two each week. But for TSN plus, it is $8 per month or 80 for the year. And I would say if you're somebody that has been keeping up with collision and rampage, I don't know if you're going to be spending this amount of money. At least I don't imagine a high volume of, um, regular viewers going this way if they're going to keep up with these shows. I see many uh, going alternate ways if they're going to watch this because I think this is a hefty ask uh, for people if they are just getting this service for two wrestling shows. Yeah, I guess it's depending on on the person. Um, like if you're suggesting some will, but I think this will be a big turnoff for for some to pay eight bucks a month for those shows. I certainly would have said that was that would be the case if. If it was only Rampage that was, uh, you know, being offered as part of TSN Plus, the addition of Collision actually makes it far more attractive. You know, Rampage is a one hour program that at that point was, I, I would even say, you know, pretty skippable. But Collision has proven to be a show that I think if you're an AEW fan has been pretty must see. So it's probably like Collision has greatly helped 
make TSM plus feel attractive. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm curious to hear from Canadians if they end up getting TSM plus. I was told one person responded to me that signed up for it and they do have every dynamite, every rampage. I assume every collision is up there uh, on top of it. So on TSM have, plus on TSM plus. So mm-hmm. that's a, a bit of a, an addition if, if you want to go check out the, old episodes. So there was another note in the statement that said for uh, TSM plus is available for people who sign up through their app or website. Yeah. I think that that has to do with like what used to be like TSN go and is now that like it is a separate. um, So let's say I don't subscribe to TV. I just want to watch TSN through the app and also through the website. How much do I pay or what do I subscribe to? I don't know what the amount is if you want to get um, – I, I don't know if you can get like the TSN linear channel if you don't have TV. I think this only gives you access to TSN Plus itself. There has to be a way to just – because Schwartzstein offers it, you know, where you just pay like something like $16, $20 a month and you get the TV channels without subscribing to cable. It, it, there might be. I'm just not aware of what, what, what the option is. So maybe someone can fill you in. All right. And the last note here, Way, October the 14th, um, Logan Paul is going to fight Dylan Dennis, who is uh, a high-level uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner who, I mean, his claim to fame is that this guy doesn't fight. He just has kept a presence for himself and has kind of just scorned himself from these industries. Um, he is signed to fight Logan Paul on October 14th in Manchester, England. And this will be on the same card where KSI is fighting Tommy Fury. So this is going to be Logan Paul's boxing fight against a guy who has never boxed before. And I would say this is a relatively safe fight for Logan Paul. Right. Um, I guess they just needed any opponent with some sort of justifiable combat sports background, right? Um, and and also uh, Dylan Dennis. I mean, he's had a on-again, off-again relationship with Conor McGregor, but they are training together and you've got the Conor McGregor involvement here as well like for logan paul this this one makes a lot of sense and you also have ksi on this card who is a big deal especially in england so i i am sure i'm sure that especially in england that this is going to do pretty well this prime card and this is going to be you know just your continued influencer boxing cards but i I think by and large there is a fatigue factor and while we don't have a number yet for nate diaz and jake paul it might buck this trend what we have seen is a lot of these cards, they do generate a lot of interest, but then the pay-per-view number comes out and it would suggest to you that if people are watching these, many people are, are just streaming these shows and not buying them. And you like would think pirating with, with a younger, savvier audience, you're, that's probably a, a realistic conclusion that you can come to for these. It's not so much the lack of interest, but for the model that you have here on pay-per-view, these fans are not spending $60, $70 for boxing when they can find a way around that. Well, $60, $70 is a lot of money for, um, you yeah. know, a Gen Zer. Um, like they're laughing at me talking about this TSN Plus obstacle for Canadians. <laughs> like, huh, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe there's value in, in the promotion of Prime. Um, I have to think they'd be profiting somehow off of this entire thing, but it looks like maybe just they'll probably do a very good gate at this arena in in Manchester at the, uh, the AO arena. Like, like I think this will sell tickets and there will be, there will be interest for this from somebody. Sure. Yeah. 
All right. All your news can be found up at postwrestling.com. And of course, you can join us, postwrestlingcafe.com. Again, we will be live as soon as we finish the Dynamite review, chatting about the world according to Marty Jannetty. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Tonight we're talking Dynamite from the Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio, and we're starting off with a mandatory meeting of the JAS, all in the ring except for Chris Jericho, who is introduced by Matt Menard, And Jericho says that the JAS came out to the ring without him, but he is here as their friend. And he gets cut off by Daniel Garcia, who is the first of many to run him down. He's pissed about getting hit by the bat last week and Jericho pinning him. And that Garcia changed who he was, turned his back on his friends and his heroes for Jericho. I chose you. Why don't you ever choose us? And Garcia can't do this anymore, does his dance, and then he walks off and leaves. And then everyone took their turns. This was like an intervention and they've just realized that they can no longer support this man. So Hager's next. He says that Jericho made him a lot of money and he admits I did like that hat, but he doesn't appreciate Jericho. So he takes off. Then it's Anna Jay and Ty Conti's turn. And Ty says that she is no longer proud to be part of this group. She feels sick, and it's not even because she's pregnant. She's going to go off and have this baby, come back to become a champion next year, and we'll do it without Jericho's help. Anna Jay is focused on winning the women's title and not about appreciating Jericho. And then Angelo Parker gives a heartfelt speech about loving everything about being a sports entertainer, and he tried so hard to make Chris proud of him. He gave his blood. He stood by his side, but what has Chris ever given to me? So Parker has nothing left to give and Menard and Guevara remain the last two. And Menard says that you were my childhood hero. When I got my first paycheck, when I was 15, I bought a Chris Jericho t-shirt and he and Jericho invited him into his home, helped him get into AEW when he was out of a job and his wife was eight months pregnant. And it never sat well with him that guys he came up with like, Eddie Kingston and Kevin Steen hated Jericho's guts, but now he's starting to see why. So Menard leaves and then Guevara knocks down the microphone and says that he's always been fighting Jericho's battles. And I'm not going to walk out on you because I'm your friend, but you have a lot of stuff to work out. And when you do, maybe I'll be here. And that is leaving Chris Jericho to contemplate all these people that he has lost in the Jericho Appreciation Society. This was a really lengthy segment. This was like the first 15 minutes of the show. Mm. Seems like a pretty definitive end 
to the JS. I mean, there's always the possibility of some form of sword, but I don't really sense it because I think them coming back at this point would just be such a groan um, to so much of the audience. Um, and overall, you know, if we're to assess maybe the success of the of the stable, I I I would wouldn't say it was as to me effective as the inner circle. Now there there are exceptions. I mean, the point of these stables with Jericho is to elevate the roster members, and certainly somebody like a you know Menard and Parker. Garcia and even Anna and JS, I think they gained a whole lot from being a part of it. So in that sense, maybe you could call, you could call it a success. But um, I I feel like this is a group that's just kind of fizzled out, you know, rather than had like any sort of big impactful like series of matches or feuds. Um, and I don't know if it really lived up to its full potential. Yeah, it's in the back. Renee catches up with Jericho. And he's reflecting on what happened. And Don Callis apologizes if he played any role in this. And Jericho says, I have an answer about joining your family. I'll give you your answer next week. So, yeah, I guess we will get another segment next week, maybe with some kind of name, like um, Mm -hmm. the family affair or something like that. And, yeah, so you think it's just going to be he just is embraced by Don Callis and he moves on into, into this. I mean, it could be anything. I just don't know. Um, I just don't know if, if like a year and a half of like Jericho appreciation society and like sort of this like false finish type of thing. Um, I don't know if there's anything more for like the, the members of the group to, to gain, you know, from being a part of it. Um, certainly somebody like a Garcia is, is more than ready to just kind of break off on his own. And the others, it just feels like it would be treading water by this point. So I wouldn't even do a tease like this if if it's just to bring them back because I just feel like the audience wouldn't necessarily care for it. Do you like the idea at all of next week, like Don Callis stabs this guy in the back and that's our that gets us to Will Ospreay coming back and to this uh, direction that had been rumored? Um. Uh, I, like, so Jericho is a baby face at this point coming out of it. Yeah. I, yeah, I just don't know if there's that much like public, like sentiment for people wanting to see Jericho as a baby face. I think he still works as a heel right now. Probably would, would be better. Um, especially in England. I don't think Will Osprey is going to be a heel at all. Yeah. So that's true. If that's, if that's even the, the match, you know, that, that, that was a rumored match, but, and I'm curious to see how they might get there coming off of this callous Jericho situation. If that's the case, um, but they could change the match to something else. Uh, we have uh, a recap of FTR's challenge to the Young Bucks on Collision for All In. And the Bucks come out for their match with the Hardys. Uh, their last match taking place at last year's Double or Nothing. And the Hardys are out with Brothers Day and Ethan Page. And the Bucks are, they, they hit their risky business move and uh, onto Matt. And then there's a dive by Nick. They go through the break. And Jeff hits the whisper into win- in the wind onto both Bucks. Nick then stops a twist of fate, landing a super kick. We get a, a series of super kicks all around. And then a 3D by the Young Bucks onto Jeff for a two count. And Matt stops an indie taker. There's double twist of fates to the Bucks. And then Jeff goes for the Swanton, hits it onto Nick. Uh, but Matt makes the save. Matt then super kicks uh, Matt Hardy on the turnbuckle and super kicks the ankle of Jeff, who just crashes off the turnbuckle and just uh, plummets to the mat. And we get a BTE trigger onto Matt Hardy and the Bucks win in 11 minutes and 15 seconds with the two teams shaking hands afterward. I thought this was a good match. You know, um, 
great natural chemistry between these like longtime generational rivals and probably the best Hardys match I've seen in quite some time. Uh, Hardys, I thought, looked really capable here. You know, they were relying on a lot of their sort of like staples here, a lot of reliance on like interesting sort of uh, variations of um, or combinations, I should say, of the twist of fate. But like the swanton, poetry in motion, all that stuff looked good. So I think for me, my, my expectations weren't so high, but they were able to live up to the standard standard that you would expect, you know, of a Hardys versus Bucks match for TV. So I was satisfied. Yeah, I, I think I had a similar takeaway. I wasn't going into this really expecting a whole lot, but the key was, you know, an audience that saw these four as, as stars, and they certainly did. And I mean, with the Hardys, like, you can see they're really getting around slow. But for all the key stuff, like you mentioned, like... You know, Jeff hit the whisper in the wind. He hit the swanton. They, you know, all the key stuff, the poetry in motion, like they, they, they hit all the, the stuff that was going to resonate the most with, with the audience. And you got like a fine, nice television match out of it. I think it's at this point, it's like a perfect TV match to get the bucks ready for something else. Yeah. You're, you're not looking at what they were doing like years ago in, in ring of honor, but yeah, it was like a fine opener and probably meant something to the, the audience there to be seeing th- these two teams having a match together. So the bucks address FTR, but before they can continue FTR, come out with the tag titles, the crowd is chanting all in. This is awesome. And they just stand there. They accept the challenge and the match is official. The rubber match for August 27th with the tag titles on the line, simple setup and the audience took this as they treated this like a big match when it was confirmed on paper. It's a very attractive match. Yeah. Well, it is a pay-per-view and that means it's time for a tournament way. An AEW tournament. And this is to set up a four way women's match for the championship at all in. We are going to get the winner of tonight's title match with Hikaru Shida and Anna Jay joining Tony Storm, who is invoking her automatic rematch. And then we will have separate matches with Soraya against Sky Blue on Rampage and the Bunny against Britt Baker next Wednesday on Dynamite, um, which seem like as much uh, layups as you could imagine for who's going to be in this match. <laughs> I mean, I do not yeah. sense any upsets uh, with the Bunny and Sky Blue. All due respect. Yeah, um, I don't either. Um but I mean, you know, I, I guess it's like, how would they even have justified some, the inclusions of, I guess, you know, some of the wrestlers in this particular tournament when I feel like you have more other wrestlers with more winning records, but it, it, it's besides the point. I, I mean, in the end here, we're looking to get a four way match, which I think is a, is a pretty decent call. Like, especially if you're, you're looking to get Soraya on this card and not having to rely on a singles match with her. If you're looking to give exposure to somebody like a Britt Baker, um, Tony Storm and Sheeta getting all, you know, on, and they're all the tied show. together. Like they, they've been involved together in this program for months. Right. You'll have a lot of, yeah, exactly. You'll have a lot of Storm, Soraya, um, interaction. Sheeta, you know, Baker are both against the outcasts as well. So yeah, it does make sense from a story perspective as well. Last week, they showed MJF and Adam Cole celebrating the announcement of their title match, and M- MJF suggests that they go skinny dipping with rats. And Adam Cole says, no, we're going to a trampoline park, and we go to like a a trampoline park here. And You ever been to one? No, I haven't. You? It looked fun. Yeah, There's one okay. nearby. I've never been to it. Okay. Uh, this was actually proposed for, uh, for Hogan and Savage ahead of WrestleMania five. This is, this was what they were going to do. 
then they went with the mega powers exploding <laughs> angle, but I, I think they, they could have done this, you know, got them done gymnastics lessons together. MJF hears about dodgeball and he's interested in playing this. So we get these slow motion clips of MJF nailing these kids with the dodgeball and taunting them. Uh, so one of the kids comes over and calls them nerds. And Adam Cole looks down at this girl and says, you shouldn't talk like that. So this little girl gives him the middle finger. So Cole unleashes MJF and whips the ball at this child. So they have bonded over child abuse. Well, the child gives you the, the finger. I mean, she she was asking for it, really. Um, did you like this one? I mean, it was um, like these things are very popular and I see them continuing like they're, they're, they're certainly like not my uh, cup of tea for these guys. But I, I can't deny like this has absolutely worked for them and yeah. the audiences love them. So there's really nothing to complain about them. Yeah, I, I thought this was totally cute and completely like of the vibe that I think they've set at this point. I thought even this one was a step above some of their previous um uh, outings. Uh, but because they're already over, because again, the tone of this entire relationship has already been set. This I was mean, ahead of Kowloon's? Yeah, it was for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they're exactly what this team has done to make people love them. So I, they also I got all over this show. I mean, this was the first of two segments with MJF and Cole and this, I, I don't know what the numbers are. This has to be the least amount of wrestling on a dynamite. I can recall like this was hmm. four matches and there was a ton of talking on this show. Hmm. Interesting. Oh. We get highlights of the anything goes match followed by the parking lot fight from last week. And we go to a BCC promo backstage where John Moxley compares the BCC going after the best friends to Eagles don't hunt flies. And he hopes the best friends aren't here tonight. And to, uh, they never think they can win. We know we can win. And then Claudio brings up uh, the injury to Pac that he's going to be out for quite a while, it appears. And Yuta mentions the fact that Pac is going to miss Wembley Stadium as a result of this injury. And Moxley ends it with, BCC doesn't fear death. Death fears us. Mm. Just imagine this guy like walking around with like a notepad and whenever these things come to him, just writing them down because he seems to have an endless list of these just go-to lines of like good t-shirt catchphrases eagles don't hunt flies yeah lovely i mean um if there was any sort of question coming off of like you know the end of the elite feud whether or not the bcc were turning baby faces i mean we pretty much had that indication like even last week or, or even prior to that but it's this episode certainly cemented their status as heels and big time heels arguably the most dominant heel stable in the entire company and um taking credit for pax you know injury and rubbing the salt in the wounds of him not being able to make wembley i think was was wonderful material did they ever explain what his injury is where it occurred oh. Uh, isn't the assumption that it occurred in the Claudio match? Um, I guess it's assumed. Last like he still he still did the gravity match after. Remember? You're right. Yeah, totally forgot about that. Huh? Well, I mean, um, <laughs> I don't know then. I, I'm choosing to forget, not because it wasn't a good show. It was actually a great show. But when I think of the like that ROH show, and we came out of it like the Lucha Brothers were leaning towards going heel, 
And the BCC, we were all confused where the BCC was going after that. Much more clear now, but it seems as though yeah, wherever we went in those couple of days with the BCC, it has it has reverted back to where they were pre. Remind like, me of the Lucha Brothers like he- heel thing because they were remember they yanked the referee out and they were getting all like they were getting all heelish with Pack as well, like with the Death Triangle. They were doing something time. with the best friends, and that's right. Yeah, from earlier in the night. Anyway, we move on. Okay. Jack Perry against Rob Van Dam for the FTW championship. And we've got Perry out with like Jerry Lynn style gear. Uh, RVD comes out again to Pantera and Perry jumps him before the uh, introductions in the ring. Uh, But then RVD takes over and Perry rolls out of the ring, avoiding a rolling thunder. And Perry gets draped on the guardrail and RVD hits the spinning leg drop, which is quite remarkable that he is still doing this move. Oh my God. And and this looked like the, the most devastating I've ever seen him do something like this. I don't know if it was just because these might be longer distances, you know, between the apron and the guardrail, and and that somehow might have affected his ankle. But like he bent Perry in half, and Her- Perry's <laughs> face just like whipped right into the guardrail. I mean, it looked great. Um, I'm sure it didn't feel all that nice either. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure they weren't doing a run through of this spot. They were just going to save it for live and get the the one take. Mm-hmm. There's a rolling thunder to Perry with a chair on top of him, goes for the split-legged moonsault, but he, like, paused, and then he goes for it after Jack Perry has already moved out of the way. So the announcers are just trying to say, well, he was trying to adjust on on the top. Then we get a ref bump, and RVD is crotched on the top rope, and Perry is on top and then gets knocked off the turnbuckle through a table on the floor. And this is FTW rules, so anything goes. They could have... uh one of them, if they had chosen to bring out scissors and attack the guy with scissors, you could have gotten away with that. Well, FTW, you know, of course. Yeah. There's a five-star frog splash to Perry, but Bryce Remsburg is still out. So Aubrey sprints down. Perry kicks out. There's a big reaction for that. And as RVD is protesting, Jack Perry low blows him, drives RVD into a chair in the corner and rolls him up in 934, retaining the FTW title. And Taz is getting to the the end of his rope here with his patience, and he's getting sick of seeing this guy with the FTW title. But I I have to say, for what you were expecting, I think Rob Van Dam, like there are performers that can certainly get by on just pure nostalgia, and you can do very little and still get by. Rob Van Dam is a guy, like his gimmick is being like a super athlete. So it's much tougher for me. And like I watched his impact run, and it was – you know, it was certainly like several steps slow. Um, and this one, like whether it was, Hey, I'm coming in for one night. It's my style of match. Um, I don't think you can fault this. I think this was the right call for a TV match. I don't think this needed to be like a big show type of a uh, match for the two, but I, I think RVD did fine. And the crowd like loved him in this as well. I I thought he looked great. You know, like maybe whatever, whatever state he was in for the impact run, he's clearly found some, some motivation from somewhere to, to get into incredible shape. And it resulted in, I think, a very, very successful TV outing here on a big stage. Um, for somebody who, you know, has been around as long as, as he has wrestling the style that he has, for him to be able to still like look like Rob Van Dam and to be able to pull off all of these signature spots this well, I, I, I think it's, it's incredibly impressive. You know, I mean, the I'm, guy, the guy's taking good care of himself, you know, over well, it's the, the years. stretching, isn't it? You know, that's stretching. And, 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 and who knows what else? Um, uh, that, that, that is a part of his ritual, of course. Um, but beyond RVD, who I, I think, you know, at this point, um, 
I wouldn't be against seeing him come back, you know, for, for something more on a, on a maybe occasional basis. Listen, we could have had Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy on this show. And I think it would have turned out pretty well if they, you know, decided to put that match together in 2023. But beyond that, I thought Jack Perry's improvements as a heel over this very short amount of time that he's played, played a heel has, have been pretty significant. You know, I thought he felt like a very natural heel in ring here made great use of a lot of heel shortcuts and the crowd has completely taken to him doing all these things so he's made a pretty impressive transformation beyond my expectations at this point so um i think he's doing well and we wonder what match he'll have at uh wembley yeah i mean you you think of like this all leading to hook but the way he's calling it and stuff like if ever taz could do one more match like this should he be. cannot. I, I I don't think he should either. But if um, he could have done one more match, I think we would have seen him at one of the one night stands. And no. he, I don't think now is now is going to be any better. Renee speaks with the Lucha Brothers and Alex Abrahantas, and they say that the BCC they fight to maim and hurt people. Well, we're out for revenge, and Phoenix calls them the Blackpool Coward Club. Mm, Which T-shirt would you buy? Blackpool Coward Club or Eagles Don't Hunt Flies? You know, I'm not much of a phrase on a on a T-shirt type type of guy, but um, I, I'm sure both would be top sellers. Yeah. How about Von Wagner's new shirt? I haven't seen it. What what is it? You're gonna get table. Oh, I have seen it. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. That's the one I could totally see you wearing. Yeah. MJF and Cole come out. This is at the top of the hour, and MJF denies ever calling the Midwest mid. And if there's footage of me saying that going out, it's heavily edited and fake because my favorite place in the U.S. is the Midwest. And if I'm lying, then God strike me down. And he did not, in fact, get hit by a lightning bolt. But uh, this man was uh, very brave here as he uh, tempted God. And Cole says that, you know, I am going to beat you for the title at All In. So MJF takes this as an invite. Oh, you want to do a promo battle? And he proceeds to call Adam Cole so skinny and ghostly white <laughs> that if this were the 80s, Hogan would have snorted you. Oh. Ha <laughs> ha. Not one for the kiddies. Um, no, no. And then Cole starts yelling. He doesn't want a promo battle. The crowd did want a promo battle. So Cole says, you know what I really want? The ROH tag team titles. <laughs> I think everyone's like, what? You're headlining this Wembley show and you want the ROH tag team titles. As uh, as everyone was uh, furiously looking up, who, who again are the ROH tag champions? And he says he owes his career to ROH. He's a three-time ROH champion, a TV champion, even won the survival of the fittest tournament, but never won those tag belts. And he lists off past teams, including the Kings of Wrestling, Red Dragon, and the Briscoes, and suggests that they challenge Aussie Open on something called zero hour at all in and MJF is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You want me to wrestle twice in one night? It's like, you want me to wrestle on the pre-show on top of this? And he surveys the crowd and says, all right, do you want us to challenge for the a kidding ROH tag team champions? <laughs> this was the best save of the year. Mm-hmm. And they issue the challenge to Aussie open. Now, before we get to our, our favorite character in all of wrestling, uh, in the neck brace, what did you think about this and, and the idea behind this? Like they're going to wrestle on the zero hour 
presumably win the tag belts or have some I, I don't know what, what what are you expecting with this like this is certainly a kind of left field it's very unconventional you know to have your main event wrestlers wrestle on the kickoff show in a tag team match i mean we see it all the time on the go home episode of like you know uh, wwe raw leading into a pay-per-view oh could like you know these two partners get along like that sort of thing but this is a very different type of story where like you can ju- justifiably see them actually win the tag team championships there are so many ways that they can go obviously if they lose that's that's you know that's a way to build up to um maybe added interest for the main event um but if they win, which is also very possible because this team has just, you know, been completely on fire, how would that heat up the main event? And just even the the decision to use the kickoff as a potential like spot for a significant plot point for your main event of the pay per view is very unique. So I'm I I have to think they have something like really clever planned to. to do, do you think there's it. any way the zero hour, like we're talking about all these like broadcast options, that the zero hour errors on like a conventional like TNT or TBS? Your guess is as good as mine, isn't it? You know, but what time would it have to be? Twelve o'clock, noon Eastern. Yeah, I mean, what would they be expecting? You know, in terms of performance for a twelve. Oh, I, I, I don't think anything, but it would just be like more. It just this just seems like a lot for YouTube. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a very, you know, different. I'm sure there's, there's some reasoning for it. You know, if, if you ask Tony Khan, like from a business metric perspective, cause otherwise this would have been a, a good match for a dynamite, wouldn't it? Or even a rampage. You know? Yeah. Like you could certainly are like, could you just tell the exact same story by them challenging on like the go home dynamite? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But obviously like they want people watching this. Uh, zero hour and this is probably as effective a match as you can put on there I think it's the biggest zero hour match you would have you would you've ever had mm-hmm. and yeah and i guess the idea is like more more than even the match the match should be very good but it's what kind of angle is coming out of this like they could win the belts they could also mm-hmm. like have you know some miscommunication and that leads you into the main event in some way. Like there's certainly a lot of different um, options at your disposal. If it's a, if it's a matchup that'll significantly change the way we look at the main event, then they're banking on a lot of people, you know, catching this zero hour because I mean, in the past I, I would assume zero hours to do just a very small fraction of like what, you know, a dynamite would do. So there seems like they might be banking on a lot of people to try to watch this one. Yeah. I mean, what other titles does Adam Cole want to get? Is he going to go after, you know, the strong open weight tag titles after this? I mean, he did a good job, I thought, of like, you know, justifying his like desire for the ROH tag titles here. Um, I thought MJF was absolutely tremendous. You know, we, we get to see him play very much like, um, heelish baby faces, maybe the best way to put it, you know, very much like The Rock. He's like, the type of villain that still has that villainous attitude. But now again, he's, he's our asshole, you know, like we know, like we're, <laughs> we hate it when he's on the other team, but, but when he's playing for us, like he's our goon, you know, you remember when Ty Domi like played for the jets, like nobody liked him. Right. Then he started playing for the Leafs and we just, we love the guy. And he's our goon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you also have the story and I, I don't know if people would be crazy about this idea of him losing again, but MJF like losing the fall again and now it's the second tag title loss that this team has had and the first one it was MJF blaming himself this one MJF loses again but then he retains the belt and then we're we're coming out of all in and Adam's got no titles he's lost MJF and MJF is it's like you 
you you drop the fall in these matches where it benefited both of us, but then you rise to the occasion in the main event, and that's sort of building for Cole's turn on MJF. Like that's that's one way off the top of my head. It's very interesting and very possible. How, uh, what would Adam? What would Roderick Strong do? I guess is is the other question. Adam, <laughs> Adam. Out comes Roderick Strong. I love this guy. I just, Me too. he has become like my guilty pleasure of like any, any, it's, it's him and, um, Von Wagner. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was going to pick a character out of the bear, but yeah, Von Wagner tops them all too. He can't believe that Adam Cole wants to win the tag titles with MJF instead of an ROH legend like himself. So MJF calls him a jealous ex girlfriend and says, do what all of you generic white people do and basically tells him to go home and listen to Taylor Swift, you bland bitch. And Strong asks Cole, are you going to let him say that to me? Are you? And the kingdom was right about Cole never really being my friend. So the kingdom come out. They console poor Roddy and his broken neck. And Cole then shoves MJF and he's really upset for MJF pushing his buttons and MJF starts to get upset. And then Cole sees that he's getting mad. So Cole apologizes. They calm down, they hug, and then MJF sends Cole to go check on Roderick in the back. It was really a good reintroduction of some tension between MJF and Cole. I mean, they, they continue to just kind of fan those flames in the background, not so much in the background, maybe at the end of this segment, but I think it's all been very effective on the surface. They look like the best of friends, you know, they're throwing dodgeballs at little kids together. Um, But underneath it all, like one of them can snap at any second, you know, and it, it might not just be MJF that's prone to that. So I, I, I think it's, this story is, is, is in a really, like it's being told really well. And I absolutely like MJ Roderick strong might be like, you know, just best, best breakout star. Who would have thought when he came <laughs> from like NXT and into AEW that he'd get over playing this sort of character, you know, with the neck brace. I mean, this um, was kind of what he was doing at the end of NXT. It was like, here was a guy who was all like, you know, had the busted up neck and everything. It was like, this is the version of Roderick strong. We want the, the neck brace running it's it's amusing it's it's certainly a something for the kingdom to make them relevant on dynamite itself um and yeah i'm i'm so in and i think everybody will benefit at the end of this story moxley and claudio against the lucha brothers uh we see uh, moxley in with a double ddt yuda gets involved with a belt shot and then claudio military presses phoenix up for a cutter to moxley that only leads to a two count they go through the break there's a spike pile driver on phoenix as Taz notes, that's how he broke his neck. Phoenix misses a splash off the top, and it's Moxley with like a somersault into a cutter onto Penta. And then all four men go down from strikes. The crowd is chanting for everyone. And Penta leaps off the top into a European uppercut from Claudio. The Lucha Brothers hit their own spike pile driver. And then Yuta grabs Phoenix to stop the fear factor. Abrahantis grabs Yuta, and then Phoenix dives onto Yuta on the floor. Moxley then rolls up Penta, and we see him grab the tights to get him in 13 minutes and 12 seconds. But the camera totally missed Claudio coming in. This was like the key spot of the match. He rips off Penta's mask before the roll-up, and even the announcers have to state, we all missed this. Thankfully, the replay uh, showed it clearly, um, but uh, th- this was just like a total miss on this finish and like the key part that led to, cause you just see him like lose to a roll up, even with the tights, it just felt like a kind of deflating finish, but made sense once you saw the replay and 
Then with the post-match attack, they continue to beat on them, and Claudio puts on Penta's mask and takes the mask with him. So obviously that's going to continue in some form or fashion. Yeah, you would think that, that you know, this is all leading up to further interaction between the Lucha Brothers and the Blackpool Combat Club, but I guess is you know... Can't do mask what, versus hair with Claudio. No, you cannot, no. What can you... He's got nothing to, to risk. He's got the title. So. I guess so. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Pence is going to say, I've never won the ROH world title before. In fact, I've never won any ROH. T- Actually, uh, they had the tag titles, Tags, but nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, you would think, though, this is like well, anything on the show you would assume is is a setup for something at Wembley. And, you know, it could be a singles match between Penta and Claudio. Um, obviously, they can't do trios right now, which would have been really perfect, I, I think, for, um, you know, Pac to be to have that sort of a uh, spotlight. But that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, could they do another tag match, you know, rematch here um, with the best friends be involved? You know, it, it, it seems like we were leading to some sort of combination of these three teams. And I think it, on it, one of the pay-per-views, you got to get Moxley and Orange Cassidy. That seems like a singles match that they have set up. That is, you can still do. Right. Right. But um, yeah, we'll see. You know, this was a very entertaining, spectacular TV match. Um, I guess I'm just left wondering, like, what sort of like role is is left for the Lucha Brothers um, at this point? Kenny Omega is in the back, and Alex Marvez wants a scoop. What are you doing at All In? And Kenny said, "I'm doing a sit down interview with Jim Ross next week to discuss what's next for me." So what, cool. did, he, what did he come here for? You know how how much flying he had to do to come <laughs> all the way here to Columbus. <laughs> So to announce he's doing an interview next week. He was agent producing maybe some of the, he's doing some translation work, perhaps. The mogul embassy come out. Dude, Prince Nana is just great here. Shut your stinking face as he's screaming at the fans. And yeah, this faction like has taken such a huge step up since Swerve has become, you know, an addition. And I, I think since AR Fox has come in, they feel complete, you know, um, and he's saying AR Fox is their Dominic. Just the missing piece. It could be. Really could be. I mean, but just like the look of them, like these like, you know, towering men, like all all in the ring together. Um, and I think it's it certainly helped the embassy before, like, which was I don't I don't know. I've always found like the Prince Nana embassy gimmick a little bit goofy. Like, you know, now they feel threatening. Now they feel dangerous, you know? So yeah. So they explain how they they traveled to Seattle. They placed the fear of God in Nick Wayne, and they are above the law. Fox calls out Darby Allen, and Darby comes out, and he says, Tell them the real story. I tried to call you, but you never answered. It's like five years you tried to call him, and he didn't pick up. Like, at what year are you stating, you know what? This year, I'm taking off. I'm going to (laughs) – hopefully he calls me. So, I mean, maybe you try a few times and then you, by the third time, you just give up, you know? Yeah. So he tried to change his number. He says he tried to help AR Fox with his problems, but he had to leave so Fox could save himself and says, on your own, you got here to AEW. And if this is about me putting in a good word for Nick Wayne, um, then fine. He respects Fox for helping him out when he needed it. Um, but you've got friends. So do I. And the lights go out. And when they turn on, Sting is in the ring with his bat and he drills everybody and then points to the sign for all in as Swerve escapes. And we are getting a coffin 
tag match with Sting and Darby against Swerve and AR Fox at Wembley. No mm-hmm. Nick Wayne in this match. Yeah, no. Um, but I they are Sting, doing Darby and Nick Wayne together on TV next week. Against I imagine Nick might come in like ringside and might have a spot in the match, but like for a pay per view, you want to promote uh, Sting. You know, you want to have that that sort of like big big name attached to it. He should have some kind of photo to break the glass over Swerve's head, like um, photo of what you think, Rick Ross. Oh, okay. <laughs> they should spare no expense. Rick Ross should be, if not at Wembley, at least on the go home TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. hope, can't I? He's to me. He's he was in the the mogul affiliates, therefore he's automatically in the mogul embassy. You Sting know? and Rick Ross on the last TV before All In. I up my attendance estimate if I get that segment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Then they the hit co- ninety. The coffin stip was just kind of like out of nowhere, right? Like did they just put it on the graphic like right after this segment? But it, coffin whatever. tag match. So what you got to put both of them simultaneously into the coffins. If one goes into the coffin, do they just lie in there for five more minutes? I imagine it's it. It might be a coffin big enough to fit two. I have to think uh, that that would make sense. Yeah. Okay. So here is the lineup for Rampage. It's Saray against Sky Blue for the shot in the four way at the pay per view. Orange Cassidy against Johnny TV for the international title. That that'll actually be pr- probably a pretty pretty good match. They mentioned like Cassidy going for some sort of record. I thought he already had the record for like most offenses, I, I, unless this is some other one that he he has he passed Jade's. I believe I think so. Jade is the only one who would have had more. What they celebrating him like being the winningest champion? This was a debate in the chat room like okay. a week ago or two weeks ago. So I don't know. Clarify. Something to celebrate on Rampage. Saturday's collision has the House of Black against CMFTR for the trios belts. The acclaimed will be in action. And then Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale against Mercedes Martinez and Diamante coming off last week's attack. And then next week on Dynamite, <laughs> this is the best. Okay. We've had face to faces. We've had contract signings. We've had uh, every, every, the rules of engagement. MJF and Adam Cole speak about their main event. Simple and to the point. They're going to speak about their main event. Sit down interview with Kenny Omega, Britt Baker against the bunny and Darby and Nick Wayne against the gates of agony. Um, So we will see what else is added to dynamite. Doesn't, uh, doesn't blow me away. uh, The dynamite lineup, but we're still inching toward at the very least. We'll probably get, Omega's role on the show, Jericho's mm-hmm. role on the show. Like I would think by this time next week, we've got all the key matches for all in. Yeah. To me, that's the draw of, of next week's dynamite is to like hear what Kenny Omega's match will be at mm-hmm. all. And in. We'll, we'll have the four participants for the women's match by next week. Do you see us going into all in with the main event for all out announced? Just the main. Yes, event. I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would hate a one week announcement of a, of a pay-per-view main event. I, I, I don't see that. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, they'll set up the stakes, you know, like, oh, if MJF beats Adam Cole, then he meets, you know, such and such. Or maybe they'll have CM Punk's title defense be. Uh, that's headliner. what I was thinking is like maybe Chicago, it's like Punk announces he's defending his championship and they mm-hmm. have that. It's, it's not a case of necessarily coming out of the MJF Cole match. It's, it's CM Punk's show. Right. Sort sort of, and and is uh, I guess we don't know the stakes for Punk versus Joe yet, but you'd presume it would be for the real world championship, right? right? Well, they've got to answer that challenge on Saturday, so I guess that will be. Yeah, you're right. You have that in Mm -hmm. in there as well. So, I mean, we're we're starting to get like we're not at the full card yet, but it's it's certainly taking shape. Mm -hmm. 
Main event for the second week in a row, the women closed the show with Hikaru Shida defending the women's title against Anna Jay with Menard and Parker in her corner. They went through a picture in picture and they fought on the edge. Shida pulled out her chair, but when she went to leap off of it, Menard and Parker blocked her. Jay then uh, sent Sheeta into the steps with a flatliner and brings her into the ring, applies the Queen Slayer, continues to reapply it as Sheeta's trying to break it, and then finally kicks off the turnbuckle and falls back and gets out of the submission attempt. And then with that, hits a Falcon Arrow for a two count and the Katana. And as Sheeta goes for the pin, Angelo Parker reaches into the ring for Anna Jay's hand, the ref keeps counting three, so the match ends at 8.48. The announcers have no idea what Angelo Parker is doing, nor did I. So I'm hoping, way you can explain what was happening here, because I was just so confused by what they were trying to do. Clear miscommunication with what, whatever was happening. I, I'm suspecting this might have had something to do with, with time management. I mean, they were know. right up against the clock here, too, that they were, um, like, there was not much after this match other than, you know, she held the title I, and boom, they were off the air. I imagine something must've got cut maybe towards the end and, and maybe Parker didn't necessarily get the message, you know, but, but this was rather unfortunate because, you know, Sheeta, um, this is her first title defense, right? Coming yeah, off of last right. week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're really like first title defenses, I think are really important, especially when you're, you know, a female wrestler being given the main event slot, you know, for a second week in a row, the pressure, pressure is there to deliver every instance. And this was not, a good performance unfortunately whether it be due to timing issues or whatever else you know i'm sure they might have had to rush for much of it either but i i didn't think this was a very good match and i'm hoping Sheeta gets another chance like soon if not next week just to kind of like you know establish her this title reign um with a better match yeah i i don't think it really built to like kind of that that big drama of a title match that you want especially in a in a main event slot and you know it they, they didn't have a ton of time either like this thing started like with eight minutes to go in the show plus you had a picture in picture in there and the, the ending was just to me it just took whatever air was in the sales was out of it for the end so a flat finish to the show um but that that was dynamite and again it was th- there was a lot of out of the ring segments by dynamite standards but with a purpose, like you are, you're in building mode for the all in show. So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, to be uh, n- not necessarily expected on dynamite, but it, like there's a purpose for all of it. So, uh, we're getting closer to all in. I guess where is sort of your, is your interest level of all in growing? Um, to me, much of it hinges on the Kenny announcement. I, I, I like they can't fumble that, you know, um, because to me, he's just like it, 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 Punk versus Joe. Unfortunately, like I, I get it. It's it's a big match, but I would have been so much more interested in it if I didn't already see it and I didn't kind of know what. Or it if Joe like. had won, like if Joe had won, I think that mm-hmm. like, there's a bit more of a of an interest there of like Punk finally getting this elusive uh, yeah. win that has plagued them for twenty years. Yeah, FTR Bucks, you know, is is going to be fantastic. Um, so. Yeah. Um, what else have we got right now? Should the I have House way? of Black doing it? It seems like House of Black against the acclaimed and Billy Gunn with Billy, like, if he loses, he retires. And that can maybe the acclaimed get a big win at all in. I could see that being the trio's okay. championship, uh, the mm-hmm. direction you go. Cassidy, maybe Cassidy and Moxley on this show, although you've got the Lucha Brothers in, involvement there as well. But I Darby and Sting the, versus the coffin match with the Mogul. Coffin match, of course. Um, and, and the four way. Yeah, and maybe a um a British casino battle royal. A British casino battle royal. 
Do they have a, what's different about a British casino? Uh, it's, it's not in the U S it's not in Vegas. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's building, it's building, but thus far, um, it seems like a typical AEW pay-per-view, you know, without knowing, like it's really going to hinge, I think on the main event. Yeah. I, I'm very interested to see that week. I think there's going to be like, come that week. I think there's going to be a ton of buzz and, you know, the, I think we know that the card will be what it is. It's like, it's, it's going to be a good wrestling show, but I think mm-hmm. this is more about, Atmosphere. does it feel like a historically significant card that I think that's going to be the difference of, in terms of buys of people feeling like they did for the, the original all in or that yeah. ROH show at Madison Square Garden. Like this is a historically important card. And I do think that is going to hit with people. Yeah, I think, I think that feeling is already there. I mean, uh, you know, barring like some spectacularly like bad match announcements, uh, which I don't think we'll have, you know, at the very, even with the card you've got now, I think it's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about all out than all in, in terms of that turnaround and people Mm. coming back for another pay per view seven days later. And maybe this, this AEW audience, like they have surprised people, like maybe. Maybe you will have that base, um, come back. But to me, that's the much tougher show. I'm confident, like, they'll, they'll both do well. Like, you know, the question is, like, how much of the non AEW fan, like the casuals, the WWE fan that might be tuning in just to kind of see what all the buzz is about about this Wembley show, how many of them they might attract? That's got to uh, yeah. be a group in AEW sometime this year. That's when we'll know Tony Khan and the criticism is getting to him when he introduces a faction called the casuals. <laughs> casuals. Yeah. Maybe that was a, re- a rejected name for the outcasts. <laughs> okay, let's do, uh, if you want to throw in a super chat, you're welcome to. We also have a few pieces of feedback here. Sino says, it's a casino royale with cheese. Oh boy. In Europe. Lovely. Let's go to uh, Roman yeah. from Portland who says, thank you, Tony Khan. It's been three weeks since we had a tournament in AEW and I was starting to get withdrawals. <laughs> Jack Perry has been watching the G1 judging by that low blow finish and RVD looks damn good for his age. I only wish I could say the same about the Hardys. On a show as big as All In, do you think Cole and MJF should wrestle twice rather than get more people on the card? Personally, I would have loved Osprey and Aussie Open against House of Black if they're not doing Osprey Omega 3, but I'm sure the tag match will be good regardless. Listen, if they have a big storyline reason, which I think 100% they must if they're doing this, um, then I don't defer to just get as many people on the card as possible. It should be what is the most important elements, what is going to um, further your biggest story, and that to me would trump just making sure um, everyone gets a spot on the card. I'm I'm not in favor of just everyone, you know, you fit as many people on the card as possible. You have slots there that are going to create the best show of and the direction of which you're going. And I'm sure this tag match, there's a clear reason for it. Now, after the fact, if it's a bad reason, um, by all means criticize, but I'm certain that they are going into this with like a clear reason of what this is going to set up for the main event, which is the match selling the show. I, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I don't think like any match on the show should be like a participation type of like, you know, trophy, you know, like I, I think I feel like everything should should have a reason for being there unless it's maybe something like a battle royal or a casino royale with, with cheese. You know, maybe that, that's what that's for. But um I'm sure I hope that there's a real solid reason for the story. Um Why MJF versus Cole is there. And I have to imagine it'll be something that will result in us being that much more interested in the main event that night. Let's go finally to Zubin, who says, Evening, gents. Despite being a bit distracted by the influx of additional cats, 
happily added to my household with my girlfriend moving in. Oh, congratulations to to you. Cats. Uh, that's been, plural. Cats. That's a that's a relationship that's going to stick if he's uh bringing in multiple cats. Oh my goodness, yeah. He says I enjoyed the show, especially the talking segment. Better than you baby's promo. Oh, okay. Better than you baby's promo was my highlight. He's yeah. I in fact I go as far as saying their storyline has superseded the bloodline as the hottest storyline in wrestling. Tell me if I'm telling lies. Would you agree with that, John? Zubin, I think you should tweet that out and see what the response is. I would just love it. That's like just throwing <laughs> blood to, sh- to to the sharks uh, out God. there. It would be uh it would be great. Um listen, I think that this um Cole MJF, I'm not going to compare it to like the bloodline story that uh, has played out now at this point for years, but I think people are re- it, it's the hottest thing in AEW at the at this point by every discernible metric we can look at and the fact is i think everyone to me the, the key of the story is are you intrigued to see where this is going and you definitely are and even though people know at the end of this there's probably a turn coming it's dramatic and it's like you're building this and instead of just okay they ta- tag for a week and then in week two one of them turned on each other you've created this relationship so when that turn happens the audience is going to like have an emotional reaction to that because they've seen these two now have this connection and feel like they really are friends. And that mm-hmm. should be, should be the goal for anytime you do a breakup that people care when they finally break up. Yeah. It, it, you know, hard to compare the two right now because one has already achieved so much, whereas the other is just getting started. But I mean, they're, they're both great storylines, or at least this is a great storyline in the making. So, um, you hope that it could achieve what the bloodline story has achieved one day. Uh, we got a super chat here coming to us from Vincent Valentine, who sends five dollars. Thank you, Vincent. He says, Do you think it's possible we get Osprey Omega three on all in? What would be preventing them from doing so? There's nothing preventing them from doing it. And you, well, unless you it. might have some sort of like prior agreement with New Japan, you know, like it's their match as well for, for them to decide where, where it goes. Right. Yeah. But we're not aware of that. So I mean, right. the, the point would be it was like Omega is involved in this whole feud with, um, with, with Takeshita and you'd be putting that off to the side, which is fine. If you've got this, this match, it's a big match. Um, and you, you don't need much to set it up. It's, I lost to this guy and I need to avenge this loss from forbidden door. And I'm going to do it in his home country in front of the biggest audience ever. And it will be the most definitive win of my career and the most definitive loss of Will's career. He's still in the middle of this feud. I mean, it's, it's, it's only been what, two months, a month and a half since the match occurred. So I, mm-hmm. I think it, it's kind of perfect for, you know, um, it's a, the stage is, all too perfect for the end of the trilogy and the only sort of obstacle i could see is that maybe like new japan was promised this for Russell kingdom or something um i think you just add a fourth chapter in that case you know because this stage is too good to pass up will osprey a hometown guy you know or a home country countryman wrestling in front of that crowd with a potential match of the year uh it, it it'll his be competition the- is going to be himself because he's taking on shingo takagi the night before could you imagine him what? doing shingo and kenny omega on back-to-back nights oh a rev pro yeah wow that's crazy well it's like a g1 routine mm-hmm. isn't it but man this could be your hogan andre you know like or brett uh brett bulldog you know Picturing Hogan going for the, uh, hey, Andre, would you go up for the Tiger Driver? <laughs> yes, boss. So there you go. And next week as well, like if you're going to have any New Japan involvement, like the G1 is out of the way and next week would be the time to to shoot those angles. Um, so 
I, I think next week we'll know where they're going. For, and Eddie uh, Kingston coming back. Eddie Kingston coming back as well. So, I mean, at the very least, you could put him on commentary. He might stick around in Japan. Actually. He might not. You might, you he might, not. might. Lost my passport, guys. Sorry. I, He'll I get a job at Kawada's uh, restaurant, you know, washing dishes or something. Did you hear Ka- Kawada's going to uh, All Out Weekend in Chicago? They're bringing him in for StarCast. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Interesting. There's a tag team right there. <laughs> That's the Chicago match. Sting and Darby versus Eddie Kingston and Toshiaki Kawada. Yeah. Did you hear that line? Dude. Again, if you have not seen this video of Eddie Kingston meeting Kawada, like this is, this man is just so happy. And you've got, like, with the most glee, he just says, I wish so much he could face Tai Chi. Like, if, if he could physically do it, of course. But I mean, he's just like, how kind, like, you, like, you know, he's like, oh, I wish he could face, like, you know, his protege rather than saying, I, I wish I could face him, which is what I'm sure what he truly wants. But, oh, he's just. It's like, I wear your colors out of respect, out of respect. Like he's just, it was great. Amazing video that uh, New Japan World did with uh, Eddie Kingston going to the the ramen noodle bar of Toshiaki Kawadas. All right. We are going to say farewell to those that are watching live. If you have downloaded the show, well, it just keeps rolling because here is my interview with Chris Hero. And for those watching live, we're hopping on over to the cafe to chat about the world. According to Marty Gennetti and... As Marty Jannetty used to always say, roll those credits. <laughs> yes, I got <laughs> you. Returning to the show for the second time in a very short window. You know, oh, look at this. We have have multiple guests joining us. We have Chris Hero here to chat with us about this week's West Coast Pro Shows. And there may be be a secret entrant into the the tournament coming up this week. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Yes, I'd like to take this moment to announce that Susan Hero is making her pro wrestling debut at West Coast this week. Um, John, thank you so much for having me. You've got a very busy week uh, coming up, and uh, we, we are going to uh, chat about all of it. But uh, West Coast Pro, they have the West Coast Cup coming up Thursday and Friday night. And from what I understand, it'll be airing live on YouTube and then after the fact on IWTV. Do I have my information correct? You got your information correct. Yes, it's our first time uh, trying live streaming on YouTube, and we thought it was worth the shot. So you have two nights here, and this is a very impressive lineup. Uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, Kevin Blackwood, Alan Angels, Brian Keith, who uh, continues to get a a lot of buzz Mm -hmm. behind his name. Uh, What what do you kind of look at when putting together a tournament and kind of the the interesting mixing and matching that you can do uh, with talents? What kind of goes into who you want in, who you want showcased, and, you know, balancing out a card like this? Man, I just love tournaments, right? They're... You know, a good one night, two night tournament, uh, you know, not necessarily the ones that are over a period of, you know, a month or so, but just, there's just something special about it. I love every wrestling match is its own story. Uh, but when you can have two, three matches in a row with a story that is just continuing on, um, and just the creativity of the wrestlers involved, the, um, just the matchups. Uh, just the possibilities. Uh, I, I love it very much. And this actually hasn't been announced yet. And I guess people, you know, with the show starting tomorrow, I think they've figured it out. But uh, as per my request as West Coast pro matchmaker, um, we're, we're the, the brackets are blind. 
Uh, the fans aren't going to know. The wrestlers aren't going to know who they're facing in the in the following rounds. So I just like that element of surprise, uh, especially that night two when uh, you know an entrant comes out and you're like, oh man, I wonder who they're going to face, you know. Uh, and you just kind of start as the night goes on, you start going, okay, he's wrestled, he's wrestled there, and you start to put the pieces together. I I really love that uh, atmosphere. Um, so one, just tournaments are just so fun. There's so many possibilities. Uh, and just the talent, gosh, it's, uh, the, the lineup speaks for itself. And the cool thing is you have some names. Susan is attacking me right now. Come on. Susan wants, Susan wants Pardon. to get there. Her two Pardon. cents in here on the, on the yeah, tournament coming up yeah. this week as well. Um, you just have, uh, some people that uh, are, the fans are really familiar with. And you have some that the local fans may be very familiar with, but the worldwide fans aren't quite up on. So that's a good thing about a tournament. You kind of get to, um, spread things out a little bit. Like, for instance, Starboy Charlie, homegrown hero. Uh, he's been wrestling, in wrestling since he was about 12 years old, right? <laughs> that's crazy to even say. But he's facing, uh, Derek Dillinger from Ohio. Uh, from the AIW promotion and it's his first time on the West coast. And, you know, he's got his work cut out for him cause he's got, uh, you know, somebody that the fans just love and adore and have seen like literally grow up. Right. Uh, you've got bounty Brian Keith taking on Sean legacy. Uh, you know, a guy from the, from the Southern area who has made a name for himself recently in pro wrestling Noah. Right. So you get those two. Uh, you have Vinny Massaro against JT Thorne. JT Thorne is the first graduate of the West Coast Pro Dojo. So it's teacher versus student. Um, you have Max the Impaler and Shigehiro Irie. Like that's a, that's like Very a cool combo. Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla come to life. Uh, I'm really excited about that one. Uh, Jay Malachi is making his West Coast debut as well. He's taking on Viento, you know, a luchador from the NorCal area. Uh, speedball Mike Bailey, right? Uh, you know, he's been like everybody's MVP for like the last two years. Uh, and he's wrestling a, a, a local wrestler named Serza who has just come back from an excursion in New Zealand, uh, training at the Fale Dojo and such. Um, Blackwood and, and Alan Angels, they're a team, right? So they're facing off in the first round. So we'll have to see how that goes, <laughs> right? Um, Alpha Zoe. Uh, another local hard hitter up against, uh, one called Manders, a hard hitter. You know, the, he's a corn husker, right? He's from Iowa, I believe. So mm-hmm. just a, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, do I, do I have all the matches there? Is that all of them? Uh, and then we have a non-tournament match, Johnny yes. Robbie against, uh, Brooke Havoc. Mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. on that first and night. then also the main event will be Masha Slamovich against Takumi Iroha for the, uh, West Coast Pro Women's Championship. So got a, got a little bit of everything. I'm really excited. Uh, and I'm just excited for people to just continue to get to know these wrestlers and just, you know, let them, ca- you know, capture their imagination. So, so since we have last uh, spoken w- with you and maybe you can uh, speak a bit about uh, your decision as well. You're now full time as well with AEW. Can you tell us just a bit about balancing, uh, especially for a week like this where you've got two nights in San Francisco and then collision <laughs> is Saturday night. Is this a, a rather, uh, Ambitious week for you coming up. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, but you know, I just have to dust them off, you know, and it's a normal travel week for me, maybe in 2016, but a little bit different now. Um, uh, when I talked to AEW about coming in for a couple shows and coaching slash producing, it's the same thing. Agenting. It's the same thing. Uh, just a different name. 
I was very specific in like certain compromises I didn't want to make, right? I've been putting this time and effort into West Coast Pro and they've also been, you know, giving their time to me and allowing me to kind of, you know, kind of play around with things and, and work with stuff. So the last thing I wanted to do was put three, four months of work into West Coast Pro and then see you guys. So they were understanding and anytime there's a West Coast Pro show, I'm not, I'm not going to miss it unless, you know, there's some kind of an emergency. Um, so this situation is interesting because I live in Charlotte, uh, AEW's in Greensboro on Saturday. If they weren't in Greensboro, uh, I, I wouldn't do the show. I would just stay in West Coast another day, but I figure I might as well. It's an hour and a half drive from my house. It'd be kind of silly to miss that show. But if it was, you know, somewhere else in the country, it was, that was a little bit more difficult to get to. I'm going to night two of, of the cup. I go straight to the airport and red eye home and I get home at like 8 a.m. And then I get back on the road at 11 a.m. So it's going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be a little fatigued on Saturday. What's the difference like for you where you are in this producing role for, for West Coast Pro and for a lot of the talents, it's maybe, you know, this is their big break. It's like they're probably in the first maybe year or two of their development. And then you're kind of shifting that quickly to, you know, collision where you're working with people with a lot more experience. It's just a different dynamic. It doesn't require two very different skill sets or is this largely, listen, this is just taking from all my experiences and it's not as big of adjustment as it might be from the outside looking in. Well, it's been very beneficial for me because the sporadic nature of it, of what matches I might get and who I might work with. And, you know, it's, it's no, um, it's not always spelled out beforehand. So stuff gets thrown to you on the fly. So it's very good for me to be able to adapt and adjust. And the way producing works is every, every talent is just a little bit different, right? So there's some people who are just, just have, you know, tons and tons of experience and, and knowledge and, and, and what's whatsoever. So they might not need as much guidance, right? It, they may just be like, Hey, this is what we're thinking. And then, you know, what do you think? Or maybe not even, what do you think? Like, I, uh, you know, that's up to me to kind of be assertive and go, uh, maybe this, maybe that, whatever. But there's some people where you really don't have to do anything. Uh, and then there's others where it's more interactive, where you're kind of sitting with them, listening to them and making a suggestion here or there. Because the thing about AEW, the experience level is all over the place. You know, you have people there that have been in the business 30 plus years. You have some people that are in their first two, three years in wrestling. So it's, it's, there's no like universal way to, to coach there, to produce there. And the way West Coast works, you know, there's, there's just a, a lot of younger talent and I'm taking the experience that I have at AEW and that it's just making me do a better job when I'm back in San Francisco working with everybody there. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's been very beneficial for me, for me, and it'll be beneficial for the people I've worked with. And for the time being, are you exclusive on collision at this point or like Saturdays sort of like that's earmarked for you? Is it up in the air if, if you'll be utilized elsewhere? Uh, I wouldn't say exclusive, uh, but it's maybe 
how, how, how can I explain this? Like maybe a more emphasis on Saturdays because it's a brand new show and they need extra people. So I think I was kind of brought in with that in mind, but I've done a little bit of everything. I've done pay-per-views. I've done rampage. I've done dynamite. So, and I know, you know, maybe there'll be a, a week or two that I'll miss a collision and I'll make it up on a, a dynamite here or there. Or maybe I'll do, you know, there's, I think next month there's a stretch where I've got like dynamite, collision dynamite collision so it just it's um there's no rule it's it's kind of ever-changing and will you be going to england later this month uh, i'm still waiting to hear on that I, my fingers are crossed though well you have a yeah. an extensive history when it when it comes to uh, the british wrestling scene and i would be remiss if i didn't ask you about the uh, the recent passing of exotic adrian street mm. and uh somebody that i am sure you uh, ha- have studied and just some of your overall thoughts on adrian street as we were all kind of reflecting on his career and it's a, it's a very in-depth one yeah one of the last uh trips i had for nxt uk uh they had brought him in and right. he was there for about a week at the uk performance center uh, so we got to, you know, sit around with them and talk with them and ask him questions and let him kind of observe. And, uh, you know, because modern wrestling is a bit of a culture shock for wrestlers in their seventies. <laughs> yes. So, uh, it was really interesting to see just his eyes kind of light up at some of these big productions and they, they put together a really nice documentary on him. That's just a great introduction. Uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with him and uh, just something that's kind of fun, uh, just in, um, in like the common room at the UK PC, we put on the network and we were going through, I think, uh, some mid South and watching him wrestle Terry Taylor and Linda was with him. Yeah. At the performance center. And she's also with him on, on the matches. So it's funny to, to sit with a talent like that and, and watch them, you know, reminisce over their old stuff. We do that with Johnny Saint too. John would be there and we'd pull up, you know, some of his old matches or old matches from France. And it's just a really, God, it's it, not a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it's, but it's up there. It's just really special to spend time with these people that have just, you know, put years, you know, they put their lives into the business and a lot of it is just was never recorded or never uh, taken note of. So it's just um, really, really a pleasure for us to be able to to share that time with them. And uh, a, f- a fond memory that I have of, of Adrian street was they wanted to get some footage of him getting in the ring <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh they put him up against Flash Morgan Webster and he was bending him and twisting him and <laughs> it was it was pretty amusing. Maybe not so much for uh for Flash Morgan Webster's clavicle, but it was it was a lot of fun. You mentioned it being like a, a culture shock for those in their seventies looking at modern wrestling. How about like the other way around from like the modern generation and I'm sure you were around people that were seeing Adrian Street for for the first time as well and sort of what what they're learning from we're all connected from this one industry but it's you know you go by the different generations and that it's um probably a culture shock the other way too a hundred percent and I'm still getting used to the modern generation and their blind spots when it comes to wrestling history so somebody like Adrian Street I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I know him because of the Aptor magazines and the pictures from George Napolitano. And like, I did not see video of him until I was older and getting videotapes. Right. So I, I didn't have the privilege to watch him when he was live wrestling. Um, 
So I can understand if a current wrestler had not heard of him or wasn't familiar with him or whatever. But when it's, uh, <laughs> you know, when it's somebody like a like a Brad Armstrong or um, gosh, who who are some other ones? Um, it's you don't want to hold it against them for not knowing these people, right? Like a Bobby Eaton, Bobby Eaton passes away and he's revered within the business as being one of the best, you know, just in ring guys, just, just a solid, incredible talent. Um, but there's a lot of people that aren't familiar with him and wrestling is just so expansive. Now it's just, there's so much of it. It's everywhere. Right. And you can look up anything from any time. Uh, so I think, um, what is it? What is it? The, uh, scarcity mindset, right? So like when I was coming in, it's like, oh, I got to get this tape. I got to get this one. I got to get this one. I got it. Whatever. Oh, I got to get it. All. And then you'd watch the tapes until they'd wear out pretty much. Right. Uh, you stick them in the rewinder, pop them back out. Right. Oh, they're broken. Shoot. Um, but now the, the mindset isn't quite the same. So I don't know there. I think every, every talent just has to find, find their own connection with, with, wrestlers from the past and it's it's kind of oh it's overwhelming it's overwhelming to go hey um here's just the last 30 years of wwe right but what about the last 120 years of pro wrestling what about um you know wrestling in in france in the in the 50s and 60s which has kind of become a thing online in the last few years what about uh lucha in the 80s what about um the the different companies in Japan, like can you, how many companies in Japan can you name? Right. So it's really overwhelming. So there has to be, I wish there was a better delivery system um, for people to kind of get their foot in the door and learn things incrementally um, because everything's out there. You just don't know where the hell to start. So you have someone that like Adrian street that comes in and people are like, wow, that's crazy. But is it going to be the impetus for them to look further and look into his career and go on cage match and see what territories he worked in or, or look at some photos of him? So it's interesting. My last question here, because you do have a flight to catch and uh, <laughs> this is a bit of a philosophical question, but I'd be remiss not to uh, throw out uh, some philosophy at you. Uh, something that it, it's certainly not like a recent trend, but it's one that to me continues to grow and grow. And that as we see the, the level of matches, it just, it escalates and part and parcel, like there's a danger quotient with a lot of it. And I feel like of this modern fan base, there's a growing percentage that I think they, they have like a deep concern for these performers as human beings and the safety involved a- as well. Do you sense that? And where do you kind of see it when it comes to the artists in the ring and what they are performing and the fans almost having like a, a protect yourselves me- mentality that, I mean, in one sense like i think in another generation there was not that same level of care that now fans see these as individuals and the the toll that can come with us uh well i will say for one i'm concerned for their health and well-being a lot of the time (laughs) there's stuff that i see that i'm just like oh my god that's terrifying um but there's just something interesting about pro wrestling because it's the illusion is that, um, you know, we're wrecking our bodies, right? And the reality is we're wrecking our bodies, <laughs> but in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. So there can be moves that I've seen, you know, I'm a 25 year pro just about, and I've watched a lot of wrestling. Um, and I can see something and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe. And I'll reach out to the person and they'll be like, that was fine. It was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You're like, huh? 
So it's really hard to tell. There's some things that are very obvious, but there's just some that you just can't really tell. And there are other things where a forearm gets broken, an ankle gets broken, um, a, a tendon, a ligament just gets tweaked just the, the right way. Or someone takes a, um, a missile drop kick and they bang their head and they get knocked out. Right. So there are just some very basic things that are everything we do is dangerous. That's just the, the bottom line. Every single thing we do is dangerous from going to lock up with someone. The ring can give and you can blow your knee out. I've seen it a couple times. Um, it's, it's very sad. I've seen people knocked out on lockups. You lock up real hard, bonk heads, one person goes down. Right. Uh, but some of these head drivery type maneuvers, some of them are absolutely as dangerous as they look. And then some of them aren't right. And how do you tell, how do you tell what's what? So I, whenever it's someone that I have any type of connection with and I, you know, see something, I will reach out to them and be like, Hey, are you okay? Just checking, you know? Um, and then sometimes I'll see something little and reach out and be like, Hey, how, you know, how's your ankle on that? Whatever. And they might, they might be out three months on a dive that they catch that looks routine. And then they just roll their ankle on the way down. So, um, I can understand, uh, people being concerned because they see the after effects of all the crazy chair shots to the head, um, all the dangerous stunts. Um, but gosh, it's, it's just so hard. You, if you go in watching something like this, um, sometimes you're just going to have to, <laughs> I don't know. You just have to turn your brain off. You, you a can't bit. bubble wrap at the, at the yeah, same time. People, yeah. Because understand what this is. Yes. Yeah. The risk has to be high for the reward to be high. That, okay. That doesn't com- always apply, but you can only achieve a, a certain pinnacle, a certain reaction if everything is aligned. And sometimes it's a death defying stunt or just some crazy physicality that gets you there emotionally as a fan. So um I think they maybe overly police just a little bit, but I don't see our, our job is to get people to care about us. So they're caring about us. It's just when it becomes a huge talking point and it's days and people are laboring over it. That's when it gets to be a bit much, but there's nothing wrong with, with caring about us because for the longest time people didn't and we were expendable and you know, a concussion in the beginning of the match, you better not stop the match. You better keep going. You know, we got time to fill. So now it's a little bit different and I think that's a good thing. I agree. I appreciate the answer a lot. Again, everyone, uh, West Coast Pro, uh, Thursday and Friday night, it will be live on YouTube. Simply go, uh, search, uh, for West Coast Pro on YouTube. You can also follow them, WC Pro Official on Twitter. And then the replay will be up on independentwrestling.tv. And, uh, the busy man here, Chris Hero, you also, uh, have a Zoominar, uh, coming up <laughs> in the near future. So let everybody know, um, I, I will vouch if you have the opportunity to uh, pick this man's brain. Uh, you usually need a lot more than twenty minutes. I was uh, impressed. We could, we could. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've we've done pretty pretty good so far. Uh, so, in cooperation with a gentleman gentleman by the name of Chris Brooker, uh, I'll be holding a Zoominar. 
uh, and that is a seminar via Zoom. Uh, he's had these before with uh, Nigel McGuinness, uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, and I'll be the first like pro pro wrestler to to do it. So I'm very excited about that. Um, Tuesday. Uh, August 15th. Uh, it's based in the UK, so it'll be 8 p.m. UK time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, this is open to wrestlers from all over the world, any experience level, whether you're a wrestler, a referee, an announcer, a commentator, a booker, a producer, anything like that. Um, just let's just talk. Uh, I love doing seminars where I kind of get to know a little bit about everybody and then I kind of get to try to troubleshoot and figure out, um, you know, what you may be looking for. And, and hopefully I can give that to you. So, um, I have a, a tweet. I just tweeted right before this interview. So if you go to that tweet, it's got all the pertinent information. It's got a link there. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, I don't travel as much as I used to, so I'm not getting out to a lot of different places. So this is a chance for me to interact with people from, from all over. Um, and yeah, West coast cup, like, Shoot me, shoot me some, some tweets. Let me know who you, uh, want to win, who predict who you think is, think is going to win. Um, I'm just, I'm really, really excited to be a part of this. I'm really thankful for West Coast Pro for giving me this opportunity. Yes. And they've also got that huge, uh, five year anniversary show coming up in October. Yeah. So, uh, um, don't be a stranger. We'd love to, uh, chat again, um, maybe closer to that show and, uh, all yeah. the best with, with the travels this week. Sunday, September 10th, uh, we have our debut in Los Angeles. So that'll be our September date. And then October, um, 14th, I believe it is. That'll be a Saturday. So we got to, you know, every month we've got some kind of a weekend, something, something hot cooking up, uh, at the, at the September 10th show, we've got Manami Toyota coming in to make an appearance. So that's kind of cool. You know, have it. Kobashi in October, but you got Manami. All right. Manami's there in September. These so. are some pretty big appearances you yep. guys have coming up over the next couple of months. So Chris, uh, thanks a lot for, uh, fitting us in today. We were, uh, happy to chat with you and, uh, all the best this weekend and beyond. It's always great to uh, speak with you. John, I appreciate it so much. Uh, we're going to have to get you out to San Francisco show sometime. I'm down. I, w- I would love get to make out it there. out to a West Coast Pro show at some point. So thanks very much, Chris. And we'll, uh, we'll do this again sometime. All right. Thank you all. Take care.